Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that's shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps fundraisers perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, personal relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong partners. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insight into their hearts, minds, and connections of their prospects. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? Our team at Responsive is looking forward to getting back on the road in 2022. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's four sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All you need to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 to 40 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There's no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, reach out to me today. Before I introduce today's guest, let me say that we're having important conversations here on the Fundraising Talent Podcast with individuals whose voices matter in the fundraising space and the nonprofit sector in general. Sometimes our opinions clash and sometimes they align. What's important is that we're having the conversation. If you have an opinion, whether I agree with you or not, let's hear it, let's elevate it, and let's wrestle with it. I want you to influence my thinking on these things. And more importantly, I want your ideas and opinions to influence the thousands of listeners who are downloading our podcast every month. If you want to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, reach out and let's make sure you're included in an upcoming lineup. Hi, Mina. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I are laughing at each other because we have had, we have attempted to have this conversation. I think you're going to tell me this is like attempt number five or six. We have had you successfully here on the podcast before. Um, We actually abandoned our traditional uh, recording platform and we're here on Zoom today just to uh, perhaps ensure that it's not my platform. Um, But um, Mina, I am delighted to have you back today. We're going to talk about your recent article in uh, Carefully and Critically. But before we do that, how about we uh, how about we just ask you to reintroduce yourself to our listeners? (laughs) 
Yes, of course, Jason. I'm so happy to be here too. And I am laughing. I mean, obviously this podcast is going to be only audio, but I am laughing. You did try to blame me that it was probably mine. Okay. <laughs> no, this is this is fantastic because I'm getting to see you five or six times. Um, you asked me to introduce myself. I'll do exactly the way I did last time or attempted to do last time. I am the one who is struggling and exploring and learning about data and research and analytics capabilities. I am the one who is trying to pause and help nonprofits pause and reflect around before jumping about AI and jumping about the products that we have, why have what we have and what are we missing? Asking those kind of questions. And I am doing that, all of those exploration and good struggle through my consulting practice called Namaste Data these days. That's who yeah. I am. And I was going to say thanks for um, letting me write this article about uh, LinkedIn community. because I know we are going to talk about it, but yeah. Yeah. And I really, um, as, as that was kind of the, that was kind of the initial trail that we, we were about to go down when we last encountered our, our, our techno technological glitch the last time. I really appreciate that you use that word struggle because, um, I, I think a lot of us are trying to figure out, you know, how do we do this right? How do we do this right in sort of this post pandemic? sort of reality that we live in all of the um, the ideas and opinions and emotions that sort of got stirred up during the pandemic. Um, and then this ever-changing act, you know, this availability of technology and the data that comes out of technology and stuff. And so the idea that you assign that word struggle, like how, how accurate is that word for you? Is, is that the word? I think I use the word angst. I think I shared with you before that I, yeah. I use the word angst in the same place. Is it struggle? Is it angst? Or is, is, is there anything else in there too? I mean, I would say it's a little bit of both. I mean, I define yeah. my struggle as it's coming out of two places. One, I, I absolutely refuse to go back how things were for me before a pandemic. I cannot go to that place. And two, I don't know what then, what does it look like if I'm not going to how I was for the, you know, all my life before these last two years, how is it going to be in the future? So I, my struggle is defined between two things. I'm not going back how I was. I don't know how the future is going to look like. So somewhere in between, that is what the struggle is, or it could be angst too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we ask our guests to come on here with a big idea or bold opinion. And seeing as you recently contributed, you're the you're the last of the four that contributed to our winner edition of Carefully and Critically. And um, and beca again, because of all the scheduling glitches and technological glitches, we haven't been able to have you on here to talk about the article. But your article, you teed it up with the idea of five ways my LinkedIn community proved we need to build these Five ways my LinkedIn community proved we need to build these as the new normal now, um, which gives us a wonderful sort of five point outline. Um, how about we just sort of dive into that? But, 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 but before we do that, just sort of summarize why it is that the LinkedIn community, because I've seen you sort of express and articulate some of this, this meaning that the, that the LinkedIn community has provided for you during the pandemic and, and more recently. Um, what is it that's going on there? You know, I mean, I expected you would ask this question, why LinkedIn community? Um, you know, right after, right at the start of the pandemic, 
we were also restricted to our rooms just in front of the screens, whether it, it was for entertainment or whether it was for work. I needed some space to listen to more people who were not um, worried about me accidentally trying to hug them, like my grocery store people. So I needed more people to listen to. <laughs> right. and LinkedIn seemed to be that kind of a place where, you know, we were showing up. We were starting to show up. We wanted to learn. We wanted to share our anger, our frustration. We wanted to share our struggle, how nonprofits have to pivot or don't have to pivot what we need to do. And LinkedIn became that community where I started to show up as, as a personal growth for myself to see, you know, I feel like the first time I came to your podcast was 2020 or mid early mid pandemic and and I'm joining yeah, you yeah. in this in this on this podcast up to two almost two years and I I feel I'm a kind of a different person when I was at the start of the pandemic versus what I am now and I still have my anxieties and, and nervousness but at the same time I'm more comfortable with who I am because I'm realizing there is just no other way this is, has to be this way so I picked up this topic because LinkedIn gave me a chance to listen to people coming from a lot of different places with a lot of different, their own individual struggles. And as I was observing them and, you know, reflecting on my own, I realized there are some things that cannot be changed because seeing this quick uh, need that, you know, as we are taking away our masks, as we have done uh, with our boosters are we as we are done with our two vaccine shots if we are done um we are almost feeling like we are over the pandemic but we are not there is part of the world which is still struggling with it so i wanted to take this whole linkedin thing and five points in the article to establish that there are certain things that needs to stay as they are or we have to pick and think on it and reflect on it and act on it before saying, okay, that's done and dusted and we are going back to how things were. Yeah. So the first thing in your list, you said there's a new definition of a philanthropist. Um, I know where that's going. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners know where that's going, but let's make sure, uh, let's make sure that we understand where you're taking us there. There's a new, I, there's a new definition of a philanthropist. What do you mean by that? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of smiling because you can see I'm smiling because this, this, there is a new definition of philanthropist. When I wrote it, and as I am reading it now, a couple of months later, I would acknowledge that the definition of philanthropist I wanted to talk about, it always existed. It's, it's not entirely new. Maybe yeah. we, we, we missed that definition over the years. So what I, what I wanted to bring out in this point was. I grew up, my childhood has been in India. I grew up there. I got introduced to the idea of philanthropy there about 10, 12 years ago. I had my own school when I was first starting out in the tech job. I had my own school for sexual assault victims and ex-prisoners. At some point, I realized um, I need more resources to sustain that school beyond the little pay I had from my tech job. And while I wouldn't say that I was I would I was the biggest philanthropist in the in my town or in my city and you know I was doing something amazing, I would say I was doing something that I felt needed to be done because that just needed to be done for the people. And I feel like those kind of definitions is not something unique just to me. We all want to show up for our community. We all have that little bit of affinity to certain causes. Then why is it then and as an analyst, I was doing these analysis in the last four or five years in the through my different jobs, 
I was only in a certain restricted definition of this is philanthropy. These are the five criteria that defines the who your best donors and best prospects are and segment them based on those definitions and criteria and create that Excel spreadsheet. Why is it that those other kinds of affinity that I have felt that I know other people feel, why is it not included in the definition of philanthropy as well? And I wanted to explore that because I was struggling with that idea of why why not? Why am I so restricted in my analysis? And so I reached out to a couple of folks in my LinkedIn community to ask, what do you think about philanthropy and philanthropists? And I was collecting, you can see on, you know, the, the third page, kind of what is the one word? I wanted to make it easy, wanted to make it fun and and still get something and, you know, to help me come out of this particular struggle. Why so restricted that narrow view of philanthropy? And that's how this one particular point came up. The, uh, I, I, I think the, I think that the thing that, that most sort of interests me about what you just said. It, it's it's the idea that we want to, um, and this 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 sort of relates to some of the writing that I'm doing. I, I think those definitions have always been there, and we've let those definitions sort of get narrowly defined or sort of narrowly focused on perhaps particular groups of people. Does that make sense? Like there, yeah. there's a, I, I think there's a lot of discussion that's being had about what the definition of a philanthropist is or what it means to be philanthropic that we've um, there's one author I read that, 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 that sometimes we have this um, sometimes systems have a way of focusing our attention on things. And so they narrow our attention onto particular behaviors, particular people, particular things, whatever that focusing function is inside the system. And I think, I think what you're getting at here, and I think what's going on in the broader conversation is that we're all just looking for a, a more um, open and accessible definition of what it means to be philanthropic. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and I would add one more point here. I mean, this is more like a recent example. I, when I was writing this article before that, I asked this question to my LinkedIn community, right? And now recently I have been on the other end as a donor to an organization here. This is more recent. And I'm not someone who gives big amounts. I'm not a millionaire, but I do make sure when I intend to show up philanthropically, financially, I do support the organizations. And and recently there have been times when um you know, in the in the segmented emails that come up, if there would be some information, I would reach out. I reached out to my point of contact, and then she said, "This is not for you." And I think I mentioned it in one of my newsletters too. I, I, she flat out refused to give more information. Said, "This is. I don't think this is for you." While I appreciate your interest, and it's hurtful. That is what causes me the the struggle and the angst for this particular point is that it's not just from the point of view of nonprofits, it's not just about changing one analysis. It's the way how we are showing up for the people and how the people are showing, how the people are feeling for your mission. So in this particular case, I felt hurtful. I have been supporting this organization really long time through my volunteering and, you know, small amounts, much $100, $150, a couple of times. And that's big enough for me. And I'm, I'm showing up with all my heart and I need information. So that's hurtful if I, the way we do analysis, the 
that leads to the way we communicate, that leads to the way we show up, that leads to the way um, we set up our technology. So I, that's why I feel like data and research has such power of how we are doing and what we are doing in these simple points that I have here, like, you know, definition of philanthropy. So the next point you have in your article here is the idea that social equity must be front and center. What are we, where, where are we going with that? Uh, so social equity is a big word and I'll connect it probably um, with my, with my experience around data and surveys. Let me kind of give an example from my work experience that I don't think I have mentioned in the article. So right when I had entered the nonprofit industry in North America as a consult as a consultant with a bigger organization, I remember it was for a, not a campaign. This was an organization um, based out of West Coast who just wanted to do some form of development assessment. And they were sending out a survey to about, I would say, like 100 folks who within their database, and they were narrowing it down. 800 is not a big number. Coming from someone who sets up these surveys, it's not a big number. And they deliberately, you know, in in a form of a strategy, they picked up a very selected few, 50 folks who should get the survey because they have in the recent past given gifts, shown up in in their galas or, you know, given uh, verbal, committed for big, big gifts. What I wanted to do was open that survey for all the folks because they're a large, it was a big volunteer-based organization for a really long time, and they were not going to be captured in those 50 folks who were selected for the survey. And I wanted to open it, open it up for the universe with whom this organization was dealing with for the last many years. And the moment I brought this idea on the table, I got a pushback. No, no, from my, from my, um, from my clients, like, oh no, 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 we shouldn't do this because we really want to focus only on the top donors that we know exist in the data, and we have been talking with in the last few months based on the connections we have right now, and that just felt me right. That kind of felt to me like a kind of a red flag. One, we haven't talked to so many other folks who exist. Already, if it's a volunteer-driven organization for a really long time, you can do that. Two, it's not that tough to include other people to ask this question, what motivated you to make the first gift when you first did? You have been with my organization seven, eight years. You made a gift in your third or fourth year. What motivated you? Asking simple questions of like that, it's not that hard in your survey. So given, taking that example... If we would have opened it up to the broader folk, that would have meant we were thinking equitably for the whole universe that organization was dealing with. I wanted to bring something similar point here. And because probably pandemic gave us a chance to think that, okay, social equity, so somewhat missing, if not, it doesn't exist. I know we have to think about it deeply and authentically and several times. And so I wanted to bring this point that social equity must be front and center. And I reached out, I think, to my LinkedIn community, just like I mentioned in the article, and see how do how do they uh, think about social equity. I, I also ask this question even in my coffee chats these days. You know, like what does equity mean to you? What how do you see that in your work? And 
I have heard some good responses, some funny responses, and all sorts of, and, and I understand where they come from, but it's it's an interesting ask. It's um the 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 third point you make here sort of brings together everything that you're saying in the first two points and, and certainly where you just went, this idea of vulnerabilities and this idea that we sort of have to come to that we have to sort of learn how to sort of come to the table, certain level of humility and a certain level of grace. And you, you talk about learning how to prioritize our mental health and embrace our vulnerabilities. Is that sort of in some way sort of bringing together the first two? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) the first point or the second point kind of connects with the third point, right? Right. it's just that we are so trained. Sometimes it feels we are so trained to not be vulnerable because in, I don't know, because we have to show up as super professional, confirm to a certain success checklist that somebody has passed down to us and show up in a certain way because that's the only way to do it, has been the only way forever, that anything else is just outright wrong. But I don't think it is. I don't think it is the end of the world if we show up just as we are as as I want to deal with the world. It's not. And so that causes a lot of gaps in the mental health. And this is what I wanted to talk about in the article too. The the pandemic has given us so many opportunities to clearly see how broken our mental health is that it would be, it would all go to waste if we rush back to do things as we were doing, whether it's in our jobs, whether it's in our personal lives or how we do things in our in the individual jobs. As I'm reading through your article and in, in your your fourth and your fifth point seem to sort of be as as I as I read through these this this article, I sort of see this journey of your own sort of you're sort of reconciling your own thinking. And this this fourth point is this idea that constituencies that we need to see our constituencies as as people beyond just the donors. We need to see sort of that nonprofit organizations have and I'm guessing in many ways we're talking about constituencies beyond even those we serve as well. There's a there's a there's a wide range. One of the things I talk about in my forthcoming book is this idea of psychosocial integration that that nonprofit organizations are supposed to play. We're supposed to be integrating places where our constituencies sort of make up this this collage of the people who our communities sort of represent. Um and it seems like in some ways our organizations have, and this is, I think, your point here with number four, that our organizations have in many ways gone through sort of a reckoning of the fact that it can't just be about the people we serve, but it, and, and it really just can't be about the people that we, uh, that, that are writing us checks either. Am I right? Yeah, it is. It, it's, 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 it has, we can, it's, um, it's a spectrum. Yeah, it's the spectrum of people who, from for whom we are serving and how we are bringing all the resources together to make that work possible. And it has it cannot be for just one of those two. It's a balance. Yeah. And right now yeah. it's a little bit. Sometimes it feels like a little bit of an imbalance. And I'm again going back to my perspective as a researcher who is at the end of things behind the scenes, looking at the data of these things. I have been sitting in front of my computer doing analysis for some amazing donors. This is not to diminish the work that they are doing, but it's just to say that 
there is an imbalance in those Excel spreadsheets when I look at the data, that there's just a missing story there, that it's not building the whole whole narrative. And what happens is I would do those analysis and there would be people who would pick it up. They would add their own, um, you know, their, their own ideas onto it. And then that would create a narrative. What instead I intend to say when I say constituencies beyond donors impact your mission is, you know, think about the whole scale. Think about the whole spectrum. Bring all the people into those numbers. Those numbers are not just numbers. They are people. And so bring all of that when you are doing your analysis. It's not that hard. And, and not every analysis is doing the same thing about a very mission-focused campaign happening. You know, you need that analysis by the end of this week kind of thing. They, you do have the flexibility to pause, change your strategy, change your methodology, bring all the people in who you are serving and taking the resources from. and create some, create a more wholesome story um, out of it. What's the, um, the way you pull, the, the way you pull all this together um, and, and knowing you as I've gotten to know you, this is where sort of the rubber, the rubber meets the road is my father, the expression he would, in many ways, this angst, this struggle, this experience over the last couple of years that you're describing here and, and that your LinkedIn community has helped you sort of navigate is this I because this is the work that you do. You work with data, you work with artificial intelligence. You say we still we still have fundamental steps of thinking about artificial intelligence. So you're thinking about the fact that okay, this is the work that I've done, this is the work that I've sort of learned, this is the area of expertise that I have. But but it sounds to me like you're sort of reconciling, okay, how am I gonna do it in this new context? Having sort of and, and I and I have to say, this my experience has been much the same way having navigated the last couple of years and sort of watched the way that the world sort of played out both on a perfect per- personal and professional level. Um, I'm totally examining my way about going about my consulting work and the way that I partner with people and who I even want to partner with those sorts of things. seems to me like you're sort of tying this up as you bring it right to the, your, you know, on the ground work that you do. That's sort of what you're sort of tying it up where, with, with this fifth point. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I cannot move my screen and show our audience, are you my whole wall, but I have this whole wall next to me on my table, just doing this kind of reflection every every quarter once, like, okay, where is, I try to add, give voice to my struggle, because that is what is going to turn into some form of action for me for the next the next coming few days, the next coming few quarters. But that is exactly how I feel for myself and my journey too, is that this this there is this struggle in my work on I have seen how things have happened. And I don't want to do those things just as they are. Then the question becomes, how do we want to do it? How does that change look like? And I don't know that. But but for this specific point, when I say about artificial intelligence, my thought here goes something like this is where my struggle is. I have seen and have been part of jobs where I have to collect data points, let's say A, B, and C. I have to collect those data points for a certain group of people about in a nonprofit, do some analysis, and that feeds into an AI-based system. And that system is an automated insight, something very you know, nice-looking report or a dashboard outside of it and says, okay, uh, this is what you need to do. 
amazing. The nonprofit gets an output, an outcome, an output, and then they create some strategy out of it. My problem right now, my struggle right now is that what happened in that process of only collecting data points A, B, and C is that we missed to collect data point B that should have also been collected. We never thought about it. One, and two, now that these AI systems are going to create insights based on data points only A, B, and C, our fundraisers and other folks in the nonprofits would think, okay, if we need the algorithm to perform better, we need to continue to collect good data points on A, B, and C only. So we are still going to not collect data point D or think about there is some completely new data point E. So we are sort of becoming algorithmic driven in our decision-making without understanding what is the data that we have? What did we miss to collect in the past? What should we collect in the future? Those kind of fundamental questions that often gets missed as we are quickly you know, getting towards these products. The, the likelihood of someone listening to our conversation and sharing the experience, Mina, that you and I have had is probably pretty high. Um, more often than not, um, and before I let you go, and I don't want to, I don't want to continue our conversation longer than we usually hold on to our listeners, but I want to sort of afford you the opportunity to sort of invite anyone who's listening to sort of engage with you on any one of these five points. And I'm, and I'm also want to encourage you to sort of articulate who that might be. Who's the person that's listening to our conversation today, Mina, who perhaps might download this article and then might reach out to you? Who is that person you want to hear from? And then how would you suggest that they reach out to you? Um, thanks for giving that offer, Jason. I appreciate it. There are a couple of folks who have engaged with me graciously enough, hearing my thoughts and humoring me with all the questions that I have asked in the past few months. So I'll definitely ensure to connect them with you. Um, and to your second question, who should be the one listening to this, downloading this and thinking about this? Uh, you know me for the last couple of many months, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to probably say the people who are struggling right now, if you're listening to this, and if you think you don't have the perfect answers to everything here, what we talked about around mental health, vulnerability, data being perfect, us moving too fast towards AI, us in a rush to, you know, achieve some success, which was given handed down to us, but we want to do things differently. This is probably for you. This is probably for you to join us in that struggle and, and figure out what does that look like? Because chances are the first answer that we find what happens after pandemic, that's not going to be perfect. It also cannot be the one what we used to, how we used to be before pandemic. So we can struggle together, possibly. And the, to your third question, how can folks reach to me? Well, I am available on LinkedIn. I have a website, namastedata.org, O-R-G. Uh, I have my uh, email address available on LinkedIn as well. So I try to show up for the community through different platforms, although I'm not on TikTok and Instagram. That is, I'm not available there yet, but you channels work for me. So I'm here. Funny you mentioned TikTok. I haven't quite, I haven't quite figured it out yet. <laughs> <laughs> to sort of end on a, a humorous note, I think we're all people like yourself and myself who spend time on social media and communicate with the world as we have and learned how to get a little better. I just haven't, um, it's probably just a, a quirky age thing or something. I haven't figured TikTok out. So I mean, I would, um, I would, 
I would add, I mean, I don't know if you read my newsletters, Jason, but last one, the one recently I wrote on LinkedIn, that was on social media. And the, my problem with TikTok remains this, this, this idea of 10 seconds or less. Show me yeah. your idea. That's moving us to a direction where we, you know, just have to leave out the history and the context. That needs the more context. time. It, it cannot yeah. be 10-second thing. Um, probably another one of the other podcast episodes on that article, well, what is social media's impact on us and philanthropy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I def, You know, the word context, I mean, that's so – if you think about it, if you sort of take the, the whole conversation we just had and everything that you shared in this article and even some of the, uh, the layering that you and I have sort of been able to, even at a distance, sort of incorporate into our friendship here um, – it's the context um, that sort of makes these things work. And maybe the pandemic has sort of enlightened us to a lot of the different layers of context that f- fundraising, for example, and, and there's many of areas and different walks of life that we encountered this. Um, we slowed down and paid attention to context a little bit more. And so, um, so, you know, yeah. figuring out ways to communicate those sorts of things. Um, yeah where 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 the channels sort of gave us that opportunity to add those layers of context is probably where we went first which is why you chose mm-hmm. my guess is why you chose linkedin um mm-hmm. Mina, it is it has certainly been a wonderful conversation um I, I i i relish and delight in our friendship and you're certainly always welcome back Thank you so much, Jason. And and it's likewise, I cherish our friendship too. And I hope next time you don't have me record this like five times before the sixth time and actually get it done. <laughs> well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to turn the, we're going to, we're going to stop the record. We're going to send this over to our producer. We're going to get this up on the air. And, um, awesome. and as I said, Mina, you're always welcome back. Thank you. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.